Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So here we are, um, the last evening of this retreat, and I wanted to uh, give a talk about something that hopefully will be relevant both to your time here, your retreat practice here, and um, as you go out to the rest of your life. You're leaving tomorrow. (laughs) In case you hadn't realized it, for better or worse, and some people might be saying, yeah, and others might be saying, no. Uh, But um, here we are on the conveyor belt, and what lies ahead is uh, the rest of our lives. And hopefully what you touch here uh, will carry over and support and inform uh, what goes on out there. Uh, It never ceases to amaze me, uh, actually, uh, I was talking about this with uh, Shard and Howie, how over the course of just a few days, and we know what the first day or two is like, that most everybody uh, comes through feeling uh, appreciative that they've done this. Not only appreciative, but often um, grateful and the heart opens. If you're not in that space, just be right where you are. But by and large, um, it seems worth it, and we always... Uh, I'm always amazed, um, although I, I've been doing it long enough that I'm not amazed, but just still am amazed how powerful this is and that it works. It really works. But as you've probably seen for yourself, this is not easy. And it takes a lot of courage to show up and be here for this whole process. <clears throat> a number of people came into interviews saying, this is really, this has been really hard, but I'm so glad I did it. This is this paradox. Well, it does take courage to open to the whole show. Here we are, I'm sure you know the phrase that life is thought of as 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. That's the the fabric of life. And here we are um, being asked to open up to the whole show. Last night, Sharda gave uh, such a a lovely talk on uh, the different 
ways that one can go from uh, dukkha to dukkha and sukha to dukkha and then from dukkha to sukha and sukha to sukha. And I want to particularly explore those last two, how we're doing this here and what relevance it has in our daily life where with wise reflection and with mindfulness and with um, some uh, useful tools and some loving kindness, we are directly working with dukkha when it comes up and transforming it into sukha. As well as all the lovely states and experiences and how the heart is touched, there is a genuine experience of sukha and leading to more sukha. But first, uh, I'd like to talk a bit about this dukkha to sukha. This is a a five-day retreat, and for many years I've tried to figure out how can you start it on the fourth day you know if we could only start the retreat on the fourth day cool there's no getting around it though and actually those first few days the detoxes uh, it's been referred to are a very um, important aspect of the program not just getting through it and settling in and, uh, and, and putting up with the resistance and the grumpiness and the, lazy and the uh, sleepiness and the restlessness, but to challenge us to see if we can be here with the difficult. This is how we're, we're growing. The willingness to open up to it all to sit with the restlessness and the sleepiness and the pain in the body and the the pain in the heart and to find that we have the capacity to do that. That's extraordinary. Because when we see, oh, I can sit with this too. And this too. Oh my goodness, and even this. Then we find that we have that courage and this inner strength and wisdom and compassion that we might not have even realized we had. And that leads to uh, what is called in the teachings not just faith in the practice, but verified faith in the practice. Not faith in what somebody else says or being inspired and, and seeing, oh, that would be so wonderful. Uh, yeah, this makes sense. But to see, oh, I can do this. It's really possible. Nobody can take that away from you now that you've gone through whatever you've gone through. This is a bit of you know, a trial by fire because here you are not distracting yourself from all the, 
the patterns and all the uh, the judgments and all the self criticism and all the pettiness and all the confusion, all of those things in our minds and our hearts that are the last thing we want to look at. Well, if you're taking the lid off of your mind and your heart and say, okay, let me be present for my experience, those are generally the first things that come out. So we become actually stronger and forged by facing our demons, tempered like steel, tempered steel, as um, you know the old saying: "What what doesn't kill you will make you stronger." Well, it's it's a bit like that, and uh, everybody's still here, so. I have a feeling that you've gotten stronger in, in some way. This is uh, Helen Keller, who says, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. All the world is full of suffering. It is also full of overcoming and this is from uh, the mother, uh, Sri Aurobindo's um, partner in uh, his spiritual teachings, a very wise woman who says, um, you carry in yourself all the obstacles necessary to make your realization perfect. If you discover a very black hole, a thick shadow, you can be sure there is somewhere in you a great light. It is up to you to know how to use the one to realize the other. So uh, you might think that this is a kind of um, unfortunate plan that you have to go through the hard stuff, but it's perfect in a way. If you have, and sometimes people do, have a retreat, you come here and it's just delicious and blissful and it's that way to the end. That does happen from time to time. Not so common. But if that's every retreat that you do is just in the heaven realms um, you um, might not be getting your money's worth, actually. You know. And actually, in the, in the formal uh, unfolding of practice, the trajectory of practice, even beyond when you're first starting out or um, uh, on a relatively um, new end of practice, as you go deeper and deeper into practice, there's what's called uh, the progress of insight, in which after you've gotten very um, focused and present and mindful, and you start having very you know, beautiful, profound insights into how everything is arising and passing away, then there comes a whole other 
uh, dimension of practice where you start noticing how not only instead of seeing how everything rises and passes away, you just start noticing, oh, everything is, is going. And you start tuning into what's called the dissolution of things. And that gets a little bit scary. In fact, it's sometimes referred to, you lead, you are opening up to what's called the rolling up the mat stage in the classical teachings, where all you want to do is roll up your mat and leave. Because the next parts of this classical sequence, not that every fo- everybody follows the textbook version of it, but the classical unfolding, fear, terror, loathing and disgust, urge for deliverance, and then opening to equanimity and to the highest uh, awakening. So if you have any of those, it might be a sign that you've had very profound practice. Fear, terror, loathing, disgust, misery is sometimes translated in there. Where you see, oh my goodness, I've got to face it all. This is a natural process of coming to wholeness. And it is also what is um, um, uh, expounded in uh, the very uh, wonderful teaching by Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey. We're all on the hero's journey. Uh, you know, Joseph Campbell did this, uh, was an amazing uh, collector of, of myths of uh, the human uh, the human heart and mind from all different cultures. And he saw the similarity in, in every, um, just about every great story, whether it's um, in Greek myths or in folk tales or in the classical archetypes like uh, the Buddha or Jesus, the great religious figures, that there is uh, a calling that um, that the heroine or the hero feels and goes out on a quest and in that quest encounters hardship and in that hardship uh, at some point she or he faces their demons and through it becomes strengthened and either victorious at the end or awakened at the end and there it is like um, Sharda um, talking yesterday about the Buddha besieged by Mara's armies and just before he's in, enlightened as fear is uh, Mara tries to frighten him and Mara tries to seduce with images and then with doubt what makes you think you have the right to be here and the Buddha going through all of these incredible hardships after six years of an ascetic, the most intense ascetic practices, and then he touches the earth and awakens. Or Jesus on the cross saying, why hast thou forsaken me? And then resurrection and freedom. Or uh, one of my favorites, 
uh, in modern, uh, uh, modern uh, archetype, Luke Skywalker from Star Wars. You know, it's great. There it was. There was George Lucas just uh, depicting the hero's journey. And if the favorite, my favorite one, was Empire Strikes Back, where Luke is training to be a Jedi master. And he's, you know, if, you've, if you remember the movie, very impetuous, you know, I've, I've got to get going. I've got to, they're waiting on me. I can do it. And Yoda keeps on, keeps on saying, just chill, Luke, you know, just wait. This, this takes time. No, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And then he, Yoda says, okay, here's your lightsaber. Go into that cave and face all your demons and it gets very close, very dicey in there, but he comes out a Jedi Master. That's the way you become a Jedi Master. Or in the another modern version, I don't know if you saw The Hunger Games, great movie, and I don't see many action movies, but this is one I decided, okay, I'm going to see. And she was amazing, that uh, Katniss Everdeen. You know. She was tough, yeah, yeah. And there she is, victorious at the end, uh, as you're sweating bullets through the two hours. Oh my God, how is she going to get at this one? That's part of the deal. You've been on the hero's journey and the heroine's journey. And in it, you discover the qualities that can carry you through. But one quality that you need to face over and over is fear. Have you noticed it? This is not a problem. Fear does not have to be the enemy. Only if we're afraid of fear, as the famous saying goes, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But fear is kind of showing us the new territory it's the, it's the movement from the familiar to the unfamiliar, to the unknown. And unless you've got a very adventurous spirit, most of us, when we're going into unknown territory, there's um, a little trepidation. Actually, that's what makes it kind of exciting. You know, that's what makes us pay our money to go into the haunted house in the amusement park, you know, or the roller coaster ride. You say, you pay your money and then you get in that car as it's going up the hill and there's a part of you that says, oh my goodness, what did I get myself into? It's like, <gasps> and then here we go. You know, ah, wow, that was cool. Can we do it again? You know, if you're under a certain age. Uh, but the, the, the problem with fear is that we, um, we get afraid of it and it starts to, uh, can easily dominate our mind and then we keep on dwelling on what can happen. And what does that do? It just keeps us stuck if we get caught in the content instead of looking at and working with the fear it gets us stuck in our own um, nightmare. Mm. When I was young, there's a story of uh, that 
that I share. I've just remembered it in the last year or so, um, but it was really powerful for me. When I was young, I saw how fear can just um, become our reality. I was about six or seven years old, learning to ride a bike. And uh, it was was going well. You know, I had the training wheels. It was fun to, to do it with the training wheels. And then there was that magic day when the training wheels were going to come off. You remember that one? And I was uh, with my dad uh, in, on our street in, in Elmhurst, Queens. And it was a Sunday morning and there was nobody around, it seemed, on our block. It was kind of early in the morning. And um, this was going to be the time I took off the training wheels and I'd ride all by myself without him right there. Unfortunately, um, I had not mastered braking, which is a very important thing. If you're ever teaching your kid or anyone to ride a bike, braking is very important. I I thought I had gotten it, but I hadn't really. And uh, he said, okay, here we go. And I went down the block and I was so excited, just kind of cruising along and yeah, this is so cool. Oh, I can balance, isn't that neat? And then I all of a sudden see way in the distance, some people, some men, women or two, and a baby carriage. And my mind as it got closer and closer said, don't hit the baby carriage. <laughs> don't hit the baby carriage. Please, God, don't hit the baby carriage. It was like radar. I hit the baby carriage. I hope that that baby, who's now probably about you know, 58 years old or so, <laughs> was not damaged too much, but I was traumatized. and I didn't ride a bike for about a year and a half, two years. But it was so clear, I, I, I had repressed it until about a year ago, right, <laughs> two years ago. It was like, that's how it works. The more you focus on what you're afraid of, that becomes the only reality. It's interesting how it works like that, isn't it? This is uh, from... Uh, Danny Goleman, Emotional Intelligence. The problem with worry, just another aspect of fear. New solutions and fresh ways of seeing a problem do not typically come from worrying, especially chronic worry. Instead of coming up with solutions to these potential problems, worriers typically simply ruminate on the danger itself immersing themselves in a low-key way in the dread associated with it while staying in the same rut of thought. You don't get any extra credit for worrying. All it does is keep you stuck in what might be. That's why there's such power and refuge in the present because fear and worry is always about the future. But coming back to fear, I just want to talk about it for a a little while. Fear, as I said, is the 
membrane between the known and the unknown. And if you see it that way, then it becomes an ally. Jack has a very simple, effective way of talking about fear. He says, it's really saying about to grow. About to grow. Besides the dangers that fear might be uh, pointing out, most of the time it's just dangerous in our mind. And we can think of it as, oh, we're stretching ourselves. We're moving into new territory. How exciting. When fear becomes an ally in that way, then it's very rich part of practice. Mm. And what, what fear leads to, if we are willing to work with it and see, oh, okay, I'm stretching myself here. I need to just take it a little at a time. Sometimes I, I call it um, titrating our dukkha. You know, just a little at a time, not to jump in over what we can handle. But as we open up to it a little at a time, we see we have this trust and this confidence that we can handle things. And we experience what sometimes is called the lion's roar in Tibetan Buddhism, the fearless proclamation that everything is workable. Mm-hmm. And when we look at our demons, instead of feeling that we will be engulfed by them, when we can name them and say, oh, this is fear. Oh, this is self-hatred. Oh, this is loneliness. Oh, this is doubt. It's like we're naming, we're actually uh, naming the demon and it loses its power. You know, like in mythology, when, when the heroine or the hero could find the name of the demon and figure out the name of the monster or the demon, what happened? It lost its power. That's the same way how this works. Oh, we're naming it, like in that RAIN acronym. Oh, recognizing. Oh, that's what this is. It's um, anger, or it's you know, lust, or it's whatever it is. And actually, on a neuroscience level, I mentioned this in one of the groups, you're moving from the emotionally reactive limbic system of the brain to the neocortex that says, oh, that's what this is. So naming the fear is, is really uh, a powerful um, strategy. And then opening up to it and letting yourself feel it a little at a time is so empowering. But in order to do that, we have to um, be willing to let our armor down which is kind of scary. It's the last thing that we'd want to do, right? Because we feel like we're going to be in danger. However, have you noticed that the more we try to protect ourselves from those demons out there, the more we cut ourselves off from all of those qualities that can hold us. 
So it's this paradox that you have to really take the risk and say, okay, I'll open up to this too. Uh, My son, Adam, who's now uh, 26 and who's been into practice for for some time, uh, came out with a, a very pithy uh, teaching that I've found very helpful and have used for myself and also share with others. He, he did a, a month-long retreat a couple of years ago and um, uh, we talked about it afterwards. He got out of the retreat and I said, so what, do you, what, do you, what was this one about? What do you think? And he said, um, well, I th- it was a lot about fearlessness, looking at my fears and, and somehow... Um, opening up to and cultivating fearlessness. And I said, oh yeah, well, what'd you find out about fearlessness? And he said, I'm discovering that the path to fearlessness is vulnerability. I love that. Because when we can let ourselves feel the soft spot, the place that is most tender and uh, and vulnerable, that is where there's aliveness, authenticity, the the pure, indestructible truth that can open up to anything. So rather than being lost in those demons and fears out there to see, oh, I can see this, I can know this. This is what this is. Pema Chodron has this great teaching. She says, um, take delight in that which sees the dukkha. Experiencing the dukkha is challenging. You know? But there's something that sees the dukkha. There's an awareness that sees the dukkha Take delight in the fact that you can hold it with some awareness, that there's some consciousness. No matter what you're going through, oh wow, there's an awareness that can see this. And you can take delight in that. And as you are willing to face the truth, you're not afraid more and more to see what's here. Whether it's Demons or loss or uh, grieving, it's all part of the deal. You know, the eight worldly conditions, pleasure, pain, fame, shame, loss, gain. What's the other one? Praise and blame. Thank you. It's all part of the deal. So there's no getting around it. This is um, The Dakini Speaks by Jennifer Wellwood. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings, but please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed. 
as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion is exquisitely precise. Brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth, she strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We're not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. To open up to it all, that's where dukkha turns to sukha, the willingness to open up to it all. Mm. Now let's take a look at the nice side, sukha turning to sukha. You've probably had one or two moments that were pleasant here, maybe more, especially now that the end of the retreat is in sight. Now, I've been really touched by each person we all have coming through and just seeing, oh, I've learned this or I've learned that. And there was a moment where it was actually so peaceful or so connected or I felt alive. Just let me ask, Sharda, it was, it was so much fun hearing Sharda last night. What, what sukha moments did you have? Get a few, or insights or understandings. So fish that have been out of water, all of a sudden you came right into the ocean and you were right at home. Beautiful. Any other simple brief ones? Yeah. A real love for myself. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I could live, yeah. Okay, so that was dukkha into sukha. There was a pain in your right shoulder, but that was a sukha moment. There's a pain in your shoulder, and at some point you said, oh, I can live with it. Lovely. Anything else? Yeah. You talk to your heart, and you could hear it.
Mm. Mm. No matter what, whether it was uh, sorrow or joy or difficulty, spoke to your, you could hear your heart and it was never painful. It was always supportive and amazing. Lovely. One more. Is it, did you have? I thought I had a sore hand up. Yeah. I uh, experienced perfect stillness. <gasps> perfect stillness, yeah. Anyone else fall in love with stillness? It's really cool, isn't it? The last thing, oh my God, is, this is so boring. There's nothing, happen, ha- nothing happening. Oh my goodness, perfect stillness. This is peaceful. Yeah, pretty cool. Sukha to sukha. And sometimes it takes practice to open up to the sukha. Sometimes people are much more comfortable with the dukkha. You know, that's home. And somebody can come in and say, I don't know what this is. It's a little bit uh, unsettling. Uh, Oh my goodness. Is it happiness? Oh my God, I think I'm happy. Uh, This is not so uncommon where I don't know what to do with this. I'm I'm feeling radiant and alive and... You know, I don't, what do I do? You know, just trying relaxing into it. You know, doing it like a yoga posture. Oh, just relaxing into aliveness. And this is what I I've been loving to teach in the in the last few years about uh, uh, awakening joy that's right inside of us, and all we need to do is. Um, Notice it when it's here and be, have the intention to, to awaken it without forcing it, but notice it when it's here and bring a mindfulness to it so you're not missing it. And there's loads of wholesome states that you've probably practiced. And I hope that you have seen not only the power in being present for them here, but the power in being present for them out in our daily life because it's so easy to miss them. When the mind gets contracted, when we're stressed, we look for what can go wrong. That's how we're wired up. The amygdala, which is a survival, important survival mechanism, scans the horizon for what can go wrong. And particularly in stress, it gets that much more activated. As Rick Hansen uh, who has written Buddha's Brain and is a, a good friend, says the brain is um, Teflon for positive experiences and Velcro for negative experiences. And so we have to practice noticing and actually taking in those wholesome states. Like gratitude. That's a very direct way to open up the heart from sukha to sukha. Somebody mentioned it last night. Here's a simple little exercise. Close your eyes for a moment and just reflect on a blessing in your life. Someone or something that you're grateful for or grateful to and have an image of that person or that situation And then just give a simple, silent thank you from your heart. Thank you. 
And then just let yourself rest in that feeling. Feel it. Don't miss the sweetness of a grateful moment. Take another breath. We'll do again another blessing. We're so blessed. This is a very fortunate room. No matter what's going on in your life, if you're here for this, these five days, I think you've got pretty good karma. Bring to mind another blessing. Someone, something, and then have an image, a simple thank you from your heart. Let yourself feel it. Thank you to life or to that person. And then just relax and rest in that feeling of gratitude. Okay, now you can open your eyes. Don't miss the moments of well-being. You've probably connected with them here. Keep on connecting with them in your life. There's so many whether it's gratitude or feeling aligned with your uh, integrity. One of the ones that we've talked about here and have practiced is, of course, loving kindness. And particularly, loving kindness, metta for yourself, is a key. And I hope in our... um, reminding about kindness and compassion that you've gotten a glimpse, if not more, of what it's like to hold your, yourself with that tender metta. If it's something sweet that's happening, to let yourself enjoy it. If it's something difficult that's happening, to hold it with a compassionate kindness. But loving and and being able to appreciate who you are is a very important gift to the world as you leave here. There's a a great uh, teaching from Zen Master Dogen who lived in the, the 12th century or so. He says, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. And what does that mean? To study Buddhism, to practice the Dharma, is to study the self, this mind-body process that you've been hanging out with for the last five days. To study the self is to forget the self. When you truly see who you are, then you don't have to be preoccupied with how you're doing. Am I okay? Am I going to get enough, you see, oh, there's a fullness here. That's learning to really get who you are and love yourself. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. Then you can actually leap out to see, oh, who's out there? Oh, there's a whole universe of people out there. I don't have to be so preoccupied with myself. So it's not such a a self-indulgent thing. It actually frees you up to share all your goodness. And 
Meta for self is a very uh, important piece in this. And I, I think since uh, we didn't have a meta today, I want to do one more meta exercise that I, I'd like to uh, share with you that was really powerful for me in my own meta practice. Uh, you know, when you do metta, we, we haven't been doing it so much the, the formal way, but you repeat the phrases over and over, 24-7, day after day, uh, and you start to program the mind and the heart. And on this one uh, practice period, I was doing a, a six-week chunk of uh, Brahma-Vihara practice, and the first week was metta for self. And I was doing it, I, was, I wasn't beating myself up. I, you know, I, I haven't gotten to that in a while, but uh, I wasn't really head over heels in love with myself. <laughs> but I was just kind of doing the phrases, okay, I'll do it, you know, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease, safe, happy. And after about three days, I was doing it, and it was going okay. <laughs> And then somebody came to mind who um, I knew really loved me. I don't know why, but I knew this person really loved me. I didn't know why. And, and then I thought to myself, this would be so much easier if I could just see what they saw. And then the magic moment, I connected a couple of dots. And I asked myself, well, what do they see anyway? Why do, they, why do they love me? And that was when I kind of stumbled on this um, meta for self that was really transforming. And I uh, want to share it with you since this is the one shot that I, I have with you um, before we leave tomorrow in this setting. Just uh, first I want to ask you, suppose you... Uh, met somebody who really, uh, really appreciated you and appreciated your humor and uh, your take on things and had, you know, understood your taste and, and where you're coming from, who really got you. How would you feel about meeting somebody like that? Wouldn't you be happy? There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. <laughs> Only one that really gets your hopes and your fears. Who really understands and even likes your taste. Unfortunately, they're right inside your own skin. And it's a little bit different when you're coming from that vantage point. But if you met yourself from the outside, you would probably be saying, where have you been all my life? <laughs> Finally, I met you. Yeah. You'd be thrilled. But from the inside, it feels so different. So this is kind of what happened when I did this practice. And I just invite you for a moment to um, just close your eyes and bring to mind somebody you have a, a real loving, warm connection with. And it can be a pet, uh, it could be a child, it could be anyone. Just somebody who you really share 
a loving, sweet flow with. And uh, first feel that flow between you. It's so sweet that we can have this unique connection with each person in a different way. Just feel this one. And now for a moment, a few moments, just imagine your consciousness, consciousness moving and inhabiting their reality and seeing who they see when they're with their friend. Why they enjoy hanging out with their friends so much. All the different qualities that touch them about you. Maybe your kindness or your playfulness or your creativity or intelligence or just down-homeness, whatever. Just take it all in. Those qualities that shine through whether or not you realize it. And see first if this person is worthy of kindness and love. And you might just send from their vantage point wishing that to this person called you. May you really see all the goodness inside. and feel all the love and share it well. And now imagine your consciousness coming right back into your body and from the inside, stay connected with those qualities. And from the inside, send yourself some kind thoughts. If you like, you can put your hand on your heart. Sometimes that can be helpful again in touch with it. And, uh, just get who you are and wish yourself well. Either may I or may you, whichever one resonates, really open up to all the goodness inside and share it with everyone. And hold all the fears with compassion and kindness. and share all the love. Okay, you can open your eyes. If you got even a glimpse of what your friend sees, then as I like to say, the jig is up. You can't pretend that you don't have the capacity to be kind to yourself. And if you weren't able to get in touch with it, that's okay, uh, just hold that with compassion and see this is where your work is, or a big part of your work is. And then the more you can, which you've been doing here for the last five days, really uh, honor this being, then you can become intimate with all things and share that love well and share your caring well. But it's important to not only feel it within yourself, but to let it in from around you. I was talking with Sharda and, and Howie earlier today about how important it is. It seems like one of the key elements of feeling that connection is letting in the love. Many of us are very good or love to share it, but letting it in is a little bit different 
Either it's dangerous, we might lose it, we might be overwhelmed, we don't know how to do it. But if we can let in the love, and this is a practice I've been doing for the last few years, anytime somebody opens a door for you or says hi or smiles at you, there's metta coming to you. Don't miss it. Feel that connection with the, the person. And even more, the practice that I've been doing is seeing them as agents of life, letting you know that you are loved. And once you start tuning into it, you'll see it everywhere. You couldn't hold all that goodwill coming to you if you really allow it to come in. And so the only thing to do is to just share it back. And so you become like a recycling plant, right? There's goodwill coming to you and you share it with everybody. But it's important to let it in. So there's the, the, the joys and the sorrows and they're held with equanimity. And we don't have much uh, time to open up to, uh, to talk about equanimity because I want to talk about uh, one other piece. But equanimity is what you've been developing for all of these days that says, okay, I can be with this too. And we talked about spaciousness. Equanimity is a lot about spaciousness, just creating the space where it all moves through you. And here we are. The joys come and go. The sorrows come and go. And there's a place of connection and peace that can hold it all and allow it all. So as you've been doing that here for these last five days, now you go out into the world and you share what you've been developing because all those qualities that the dukkha has transformed into compassion or the sukha has transformed into, uh, into true happiness or love um, become your gift to the world and the world needs it. As, as Sharda was saying last night, the world is burning. It's going through what um, one person who I've been... Uh, uh, just taking in teachings lately, uh, Andrew Harvey uh, calls the dark night of the species. We're going through the dark night of the species. Just like on a retreat, you go through the dark night of the soul and come out the other end. We are going through a dark night of the species, which if you can hold, and he holds it in this way. It's a beautiful book I've been reading called, it's called The Hope. A Guide to Sacred Activism. It's an excellent book about seeing our process and all the, 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 the fear and the uh, ugliness and the destruction in the world and the, the dukkha that we're going through can actually be transformed into sukha, that it can be the dawn of a new awakening. There'll be a lot of dukkha, but we need all the the love that we can get and all the wisdom that we can get. And if the more you can come from love instead of fear or despair, 
the more magnetizing it is, the more we can, can really open up and awaken that love in everybody else. So it's, it behooves us to open up to all the joy inside of us. I was speaking recently uh, with uh, a couple of, couple of people who are key uh, uh, players in, uh, in uh, working with the Obama administration around climate change. Um, and we had at the teachers conference recently, uh, international teachers conference, we had a, a, um, a presentation from one of them on uh, climate change, the Dharma, the role of the Dharma in climate change. And this friend, Bob Doppelt, um, who's a longtime practitioner, I said, wow, it's so, so great that you can bring the Dharma to this. And he said, James, the Dharma holds the key to this. I said, I want you to tell all these teachers the Dharma holds the key. And what we have a very important role in opening up to being as conscious as we can and sharing as much love as we can. And with this, uh, I was with another of these guys, this guy Lou Leonard, who's the climate change expert for World Wildlife Fund. And uh, he's doing a lot of, of work. There's a, a website called One Earth Sangha that is, uh, is now up for the, dime, uh, the Dharma and climate change. And, uh, and I said, I don't know what I can, I can offer this. I've just been you know, teaching awakening joy and I don't know anything about climate change. And he said, joy is one of the most important things that we can bring to this. Because the more we can get in touch with how much we love life, then that becomes the um, transmission that people want to make a difference. So, you've been doing some very important work, both for yourself and for all of us. And all you need to do is your part. You just show up, just like you did here on the retreat. Don't worry about how it's going to turn out or if you're going to be up to the task. You just show up and keep loving the truth and trusting and surrendering and realizing the love that's coming through you is not even your love. You know, on one hand, it's yours, and on another, it's not. Can you say, my unconditional love is better than your unconditional love? That doesn't make any, any sense. My pure awareness is better than your pure awareness. It's just something that we've been gifted and given, and to develop it fully and share it with others what uh, Ajahn Sumedho calls the shining through of the divine. So we get out of the way enough to share that with the world and wake it up in everyone we meet. So I'll close with um, hmm. with this uh, poem again by Jennifer Wellwood. It's called Unconditional Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, 
I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, true devotion. So let's uh, sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. And uh, I'll just wait till you turn this off. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.